Let's go to Revelation chapter 13 today, part two. If there's one thing I appreciate with all that we've been through in the last three or four months, I could change my sermon titles to Revelation in 22 weeks more or less, because we're getting a little bit more than 22 weeks, I think. But these chapters are challenging And we're going to do the second half of chapter 13 today. Talk about the second beast that's a part of this sign that started earlier in chapter 12. Continues on through chapter 13. And uh, John is getting an eyeful. Would you have liked to have been John? Some people say, boy, it would be great to have the Lord talk to me and give me, you know, this kind of vision. But... Daniel was given a vision once, and he was sick for days after seeing it. And I don't know what John was, because this is 22 chapters of a vis- of Scripture that God gave to him. And, wow, it's powerful stuff. So we're going into chapter 13. I'm going to read from verse number 11 on to verse 18, have a word of prayer with you. And then we're going to take a good look at what we see. Chapter 13, verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he calls us all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has had the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is six hundred and 66. Heavenly Father, with your word in front of us, we come before you again and ask for your help to comprehend what is on these pages. It's your word, and it's true, and yet we sometimes are challenged with uh, understanding what it's about, and even more, what we're to do with that. And so I pray that you help us in this next uh, several minutes as we spend time in it to uh, glean much, and above all things, above all things, may we be made closer to the image of Christ, and may we love you even more. Thank you for what you're doing in our life right now, and this is part of the process, and it's necessary for us, so help us with it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is a this is an intriguing section of scripture. Obviously, you just heard me read to you what was here, and you might have said, "Wow, is that a that's a pretty uh, 
challenging text. There are some who believe that this is all past tense. It's already been fulfilled. And I wish we could say that. I would love to be able to say, don't worry about it, guys. Let's just go on because it's already been fulfilled. But that's not true. It's yet to happen. Uh, scripture shows us that. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing of, of explaining that again. If you want, it's it's all on our website. We've got the pictures. We even have the PowerPoints that you saw the last couple of times we used them. They're all there, and you're welcome to glean from that and review it again. But we are looking at events that are going to happen, and we're looking at a section of Scripture that is using signs to help us understand something that I don't know if we could. Otherwise, uh, the pictures are useful, but they do represent real people and real events. And they are events that are going to take place on this earth in a period called the Tribulation period. Now, as we understand Scripture, we're not going to be here for that. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, we're anticipating the rapture of the church, and if it happens today, I won't complain. I don't think you will either. There's no face mask in heaven. All right? But uh, that would be a joy to be in the presence of the Lord. Obviously, we would think that. Um, but the reality is that this is written, this book is written to the church so that we understand that God has a plan. And this plan is going to be pretty rough on this earth. And of all things, I think we could glean from it and say, now what do I do with this? If I'm not going to be here, why should it matter to me? It's because we might be living among those very people who will be going through this. If the Lord comes for us today, guess where they go? Right into this period. And that's the next seven years. And it's not pretty. And the, the things ought to concern us so greatly that... I think it should make us evangelistic kind of people. For we know people who need the Lord, don't we? And so with that, I just prompt your memory and your thoughts that way. But here in this second half of chapter 13, there are concerns here for this particular pastor who's speaking with you this morning. Because there is a false teacher, a false prophet on the horizon. One that you don't want to know. And he's described in this passage. Now, one of my favorite things to do before we even go through all this that I'm going to do, because it's intimidating, it's a little frightening, it's a little, cons I mean, it's everything when you look to it. But let's look at the last page of his book. And that's in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And I'm going to find the verse. Oh, 20. Verse 20, this is when Jesus Christ comes again at the end of the seven-year period. It says in verse 20, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, that's who we're going to talk about today, who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And that's where you'll find them for the rest of eternity. There's the end story. If you like to read the last page of a book before you read the first part, I just read it to you. That gives me a little bit of comfort in what I've got to share with you today. Uh, but my concern is on what he has done in this passage, chapter 13, 
And my concern is that uh, uh, that characteristic of him is already present in aspects of our world today. It's called deception. And as a pastor, that concerns me a great deal. Go for a minute. Keep your bookmark here. All right. I always carry my bookmark with me because I have to say that and come back. But Second um, Timothy chapter number 3 for a minute. Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 13, good place to start. Paul writing to Timothy, warning him. He's telling Timothy, this. watch for this in your ministry, Timothy. In verse number 13, he says, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's his warning. They're coming. They're coming. In 2 Timothy 4, just turn the page if you need to, or maybe right on the same page, the first four verses. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire, and will turn away their ears from the truth, that will turn aside to myths. That's quite a warning too, isn't it? Watch for it. Do you know what? These warnings were given back in year 60-some A.D. They happened in their day. We're not waiting for this to happen. It's been around for almost 2,000 years. Here's another warning. Second Peter, or Peter wrote this warning. Second Peter, chapter number 2. Let's start in verse number 1. I'm going to read a rather lengthy section of the chapter here. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm practically just going to read the whole thing. But Second um, Peter, chapter 2. He actually describes them and shows you what they do. I'm going, to, I'm going to intentionally pass a few verses by, not because I think they're unimportant, but just for time's sake. But Second Peter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there were, will also be false teachers among you who were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Jump down to verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, but to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in the corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in their destruction of those creatures be also destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. 
They are stains, they're blemishes, reviling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accused or cursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. Now, stop right there. You know what's the most alarming thing about this? It's an ugly description, isn't it? But Peter says, they're with you. He's talking to the people in the church. They're there already. He says, oh. Verse 17. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm from whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. And by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. I could just go on. The, the scripture is just full. The whole book of Jude, really. Just start reading verse, uh, the book of Jude, and by the time you're done, you, if you're not shaking a little bit, when you realize how sinful things can be, it's like, wow. That is incredible. Incredible. You know what one of their traits are? I'll just give you this verse out of Jude, verse 16. Here's one of their traits, and tell me if this is not the headline of papers today. They are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust, speaking arrogantly, and flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. That, folks, Jude said, was in the church. They were in the church. As a pastor, that concerns me. It concerns me to think that our present church, I'm not just talking about this building. I'm talking about the church that belongs to Jesus Christ in our world today. This is already an operation. Deception is already out there in full measure. Deceiving people. And the fruit of it is being seen more and more. It's becoming very evident to me with the grumbling and the fault-finding and the lust and the arrogance and all the rest that just keeps surfacing to the top of this picture. All these things are true, I believe. They're in operation in our world right now. And really, it ought to alarm us in that degree and should keep us vigilant. If there's no better word for it, vigilant to guard the purity of the faith and the sincerity of the ministry. We have to be very careful. We have to be. Now, when we're studying the times that we're doing here in Revelation chapter 13, let it be known, this is going to have its full blossom in the days to come. That's what chapter 13 is showing to us in Revelation, that particular time in the tribulation period where the multitude is astonished with what they see, and they follow it. Just the the magnitude of all the sinful things you could pack into the picture and still call it religion blows me away. But that's what they're going to do. It's going to be a religion, and yet as sinful as possible. Imagine for a minute a worship service devoid of believers... Now, that would make it an interesting worship service already, right? Take the believers out of your picture for a minute. Take the Holy Spirit's ministry out of that picture for a minute. 
Take the faith out of the ministry. Take the truth out of the ministry. Take the love and the care for brothers and sisters out of that ministry and call it worship. What a mess. That's counterfeit as can be. It's, and it's led by a false leader. And that's the picture you have of chapter 13. Strip it of everything that we know to be true, and what you have is something false. Chapter 13, continuing the picture. We already saw as we got into this chapter that the dragon, who we know is Satan, it's been identified in the chapter uh, already, Satan himself is orchestrating and empowering two human individuals in order to help him in his quest to control the world, really. The Antichrist was depicted in the first ten verses. We talked about him already. Um, And what we saw in just his simple description was that he was given power, verse number four said. Uh, He was given a throne, He was given great authority. We see from his actions in verse 5 through 10 that he has a terrible mouth. He speaks blasphemies and arrogant words for three and a half years. He blasphemes God. He blasphemes God's name. He blasphemes God's tabernacle, which according to the passage represents God's people who are in heaven. He doesn't stop. His tongue just keeps going. Verse 7 says he also wages war on believers. And he defeats them. That's not the church. That's the tribulational saints. And they are defeated by him. In other words, he is putting them to death. And the martyrdom issue is huge during this time period. We already saw in Revelation chapter 6 that they're under the altar of the Lord crying out for vengeance. Uh, There's a great multitude of martyrs. And that's a sad thing to say. But it's a reality too. And the Antichrist will have authority over everyone on earth. Verse number 8 says he is worshipped by everyone who is not a believer. Everyone who is not a believer will worship him. So, with that happy news, let's go on to the second beast. And you may think, well, this guy's just like a, a vice, vice beast or something, right? Oh, no. He's just as bad as the first, if not worse. Let's look at his description, starting in verse 11. He has two horns like a lamb. I haven't met anybody afraid of a lamb yet. Hopefully there's nobody in this room who sees a lamb and is terrified by it. I know some lambs, they're terrified by you. Jeff's got a bunch of them. You just scare them and they drop over. It's kind of fun. Um, But uh, in this, we have uh, lamb, the image of a lamb. And yet look at what deception he makes. He, he, he's got the lamp, but he's got a voice that speaks like a dragon. Watch this guy. Jesus warned of this, by the way. In different ways, we have still this warning, and it's still true in our day, too, in this sense. Because Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
Paul said to the Ephesian believers in Acts chapter 20, when he was on his way back to Jerusalem, and he called, called them to meet him at the docks when their ship was going by, and they gathered together with him, and he says to them in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He was concerned about a present day church with wolves inside. So it's easy to be deceived, folks, if we're unprepared and unaware of the dangers around us. I've told you this story, I think, once before, but when the kids were younger, we took them into a pet shop. I don't know what we were there for, but we were at this pet shop, and, and we were walking around to look at some of the, the cuter little critters, and they had snakes, and they had this one large aquarium in the middle of the room, I remember, and they had a large snake all curled up along the edge of the, of the thing. I, I just, I step back, I don't want to get too close to that creature, but... In that cage was a little white mouse. And it was obviously there for breakfast. And it was running around the cage, running on top of the snake. And every time it ran by over its head and down onto the ground and around again and up on its head, and I said, oh, mousy, if you only knew what you were doing. That, that bothered me. It bothers me to this day. I hope the mouse made it. But here, here is the picture. So many times we are unprepared and we're unaware and we're running alongside the danger. Scripture gives us a lot of identifying marks of a false teacher. And we need to know what those are. Watch their life. Watch their life. You know, one of the biggest traits that pops up if you go through the epistles and put it all together and make a chart and say, these are the descriptions of a false teacher. In our day today, immorality is right at the top almost every time. Almost every time, it's right at the top of the level. And it scares me to see that. And I say, ooh, how many times are we deceived? We don't look for things. And you might think, well, this deception should be obvious. This this guy in Romans chapter or Revelation 13 should be quite obvious. But in the tribulation period, people are not, are not led by the Holy Spirit. They don't have that advantage like we do today. And they will live in a culture where man doesn't stand for truth, and they're going to fall for everything. So what is this beast doing? He's described as a beast. So let's go on with his description here in verse 11. He spoke as a dragon. That's a little surprise coming out of an image of a lamb. Uh, verse 12, he exercises all, notice this, all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He's not some assistant. He's got all the same powers in that sense. And maybe even more for what you're about to see. The authority was granted to the first beast by the dragon. Remember, he was empowered by Satan himself. And this one has all that same authority. He's been empowered by Satan to do what he does. It also says in verse 12, he makes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He makes, what a word that is. He causes. How much power can a man have? 
that he could say something. What an accomplishment that he could say something. And the whole world goes in unison to follow it. I don't know if we've ever seen that in history. We've seen resistance on this pocket and that pocket over events. You know, we've seen all kinds of powerful leaders. But when has there ever been a concerted effort of the whole world to do the same thing like worship the Antichrist? That's incredible that he can make that happen. But how is that done? Our clues in the next couple of verses. Verse 13 says he performs signs or miracles. He's a miracle worker. He performs great signs, it says. He can even make fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of man. Is that impressive to you? It's been impressive to a lot of people over the years. Very interesting. Just earlier, two chapters, we had two witnesses, the true witnesses that we speak of, that God had sent his witnesses, and they were able to call fire down out of heaven. And this guy wants to copy Elijah did that, remember, in the Old Testament. John and James wanted to do it once. They were reproved for that. Kind of a funny story, isn't it? I kind of think, well, Lord, they didn't listen to you. They're not going to let you in. Should we just call fire down and burn them up? I mean, what a great idea. But, I mean, that's an impressive thing. Well, the second beast is a copycat. He's mimicking things. He's mimicking a spiritual leader. He's mimicking the care and the tenderness of a lamb. He is mimicking signs and wonders. People are believing him. He has also the advantage of deception. Verse 14 is the scariest of them all. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which were given him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. He tells them to make an image. Who did that once before? What name pops to your mind right away? Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, in Daniel. Uh, chapter number 3, I believe it was, that he demanded everybody to bow down and worship his image. Remember? And it came with one other set of instruction, or else. Do you think that's any different in this day? I don't think so. It says in verse 15, it was given him to give breath to the image of the beast. So this idol, this image, would speak and cause as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Another interesting development is the link between the worship and the beast and the economics of the tribulation. When you tie their wallet to worship, that's very interesting. Because he does that when he does in verse 16. He causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given the mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark even the name of the beast on the number or the number on his name of his name. There's countless books written on this. There's countless books written on this subject called the Mark of the Beast. UPC codes were suspicious when they came out. 
Those scary things, they were signs of the Antichrist. Mark of the beast. Don't buy anything with a UPC symbol on it. That's the way it started. Technology has increased, you know. To put microchips under the skin, Fido might have one right now. Because they've been putting them in animals so that you could track down your dog. So you could find your cat. It just so happens that that's the latest technology. And what will come next? What are the possibilities of the increase of technology? You know what? We used to think it was a big deal to have an 8-track tape player in your car. Some of you say, what is that? Man, we thought that was the world. Cutting edge of technology. And then came floppy disks. Woo! We were really on a move then. GPS tracking devices today. Cell phone capabilities. Do you know they can find you? My, my son worked in the Air Force. He still does, but when he worked for NSA. That's those guys out in Washington that sometimes get in trouble by the newspapers and stuff. They say, oh, they're spying on you. Well, they are spies. That's their job. That was his job. And he tracked people by their cell phone. Hmm. Makes you turn it off right now, doesn't it? <laughs> Guess what? They know where you are. It's just interesting that those things are true. What, what is impressive to me as I read these things, I'm not going to write a book about what cell phones are going to do. All right? I, that's not my interest. But what, what is impressive is the universal power that this beast is going to have to make it that no one can buy or sell unless they do it with that mark. That is impressive. Whatever that might be. We think that maybe that's impossible in the world we live in, but I don't know. We get closer and closer to things like this, I think. The commentators of that day thought that these verses were being fulfilled in their eyes. Do you know what? There was one commentator. I pulled him up here. I love reading uh, um, what Matthew Henry has to say. But put him in his place, put him in his time, and understand what he had to say. He wrote his commentary on this passage. And do you know who he said this was? Martin V, the Pope. And this is what he says. I'm going to just read to you a little bit. He says, that's the false prophet, Martin V. He says, he prohibits Roman Catholics from allowing any heretic to dwell in their countries or to make any bargains, use any trades, or bear any civic offices, which is very clear interpretation of this prophecy. He says that 250 years later after this Pope lived. In summary, the methods used by the Pope that he brings out in his commentator is also used by false prophets and that's what we're going to call him here. But here's their three similar actions. Matthew Henry wrote specifically in reference to the Pope. And he, he, I'm going to modify it a little bit, what he said here, just so you see. First thing he uses is deception. That's what he said that Pope did, and that's what the anti, uh, false prophet would do. Lying wonders, pretended miracles by which they should be, they should be deceived and prevailed with to worship the former beast in the new image or shape that was now made for him, threats, excommunications, anathemas, severe censures by which 
They pretend to cut men off, to deliver them over to secular power, that they may be put to death, and thus, notwithstanding their vile hypocrisy, they are justly charged with killing those whom they cannot corrupt. And economics, by disfranchisement, allowing none to enter natural, civil, or municipal rights who do not worship the beast, signifying that they make an open profession of their subjection and obedience to the beast, which is receiving the mark on the forehead, and that they oblige themselves to use all their interest and their power and their endeavor to promote the authority of the beast. That's what he saw back in the 1300s in a pope. And he wrote about it later, about 250 years later when he wrote about it, and that's his interpretation of this passage. Now, I don't doubt that history has shown us that this is possible, but the day is coming when it will be reality. There will be one who does this. And don't be fooled. Man is willing to do just about anything to protect his skin or his pocketbook. And when you put that threat there, add the peer pressure of an evil world system, add the working of an antichrist, and this false prophet, plus the overall desire for Satan to, do, to really receive worship for himself, you have a terrible, terrible scene that would dominate the last half of the tribulation period. That's your picture. We are not at the end of the sign yet, by the way. <laughs> it keeps going into chapter 14. By the way, preview, good things for next week, okay? There are good things in chapter 14. I can't wait to get to them. But we're going to be able to look at some good things. But I want to give you a challenge here. As I, I've set this before you, and there's so much more to it. I, I wish I could spend just hours sifting through the whole thing with you. But we're not going to do that now. But here's the challenge I set before you. Because how do you apply a passage like this? How do you apply it? First, I would speak of thankfulness. Really? Yeah. Thankfulness. This period is called the tribulation and it's not meant for the church. We're not going through this because the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Due to the rapture, we will miss these events. I will tell you straightforward, I'm very thankful with that. <laughs> I am very thankful for that. Although I fear for my future brothers and sisters, I'm thankful for that. Second, Simply because we will not encounter such a thing, we should not be put at ease with the possibility that deception and false teaching cannot happen to us. We have to be careful. The warnings I read to you earlier from Peter and from Paul and then the passage in Jude as well, those were written to folks not in the tribulation, but in the church. We can be deceived. We can easily be deceived by wolves who masquerade as sheep in our midst. Our protection, folks, is to know God's Word. We must know God's Word. All right? There's no excuse for us not to know God's Word. We have His Word, don't we? We should know it, and we should know it well. We must know God's Word. That's one thing. We also need to walk close to Him. Walk close to Him. Make it your daily practice to walk with Him. 
That's important that we do that. And thirdly, live a life to his service. Dedicate yourself to his work. To do his work. There are people in our world that need to see not only the, the truth of scripture, but those who live it. <laughs> You're a billboard, if you will, for what God is doing. Show it. Live it. Be his servant in a world like ours. Remember, you are light in a dark world. Be a light. Be a light. It's well known that most predators do their best to separate the prey from the herd of the flock, or the the herd or the flock. When you become an isolated individual, and I know it's a danger right now because of all that we're going through and how easy it is just to plug into, you know, we use Zoom and things like that. It's for safety. It's for protection. But don't let that be your isolation. So many times we could lock ourselves in and not communicate with our brothers and sisters. There's ways still to communicate, isn't there? You've got a telephone. You've got, you know, computer access maybe. Zoom one another. Send notes. Do something. Mail. The mail still runs. Amazing. Keep in communication with your brothers and sisters. It's dangerous to be in isolation. As a matter of fact, predators take advantage of that. We must be careful. We must be careful. While this whole world is calling for separation, that we not become lax and spend all of our time less in God's Word and less in our walk with Him and less in communication with one another. We have to be careful of that. There's much we have to be careful of. Here's Paul's warning again. 2 Timothy 2.13. Listen to it. I'm going to finish it. I just started with verse 13 before, but I'm going to read all the way to verse 17. Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which were able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate. You want to know how to be adequate in our day? Spend it in God's word. And you're equipped for every good Work. So I bring it down to three thoughts. Know the Word, continue in the Word, and be ready to serve. Simple enough? That's a big job. But we're called to do this. I'm going to give you good news next week, okay? But when I read that chapter 13 and I read what that guy's going to be doing, it alarms me that the flavor of that's already in our, in our world today. Let's be careful, people. Heavenly Father... Thank you for your word, and thank you for the warnings. Thank you for reminding us again of what is very important. And may we take that to heart. Not walk about uh, unaware. Not walk about just unconcerned. But give us a heart, a heart to know you. A love for your word. A love for your people that we might be doing what we're called to do right now and found faithful. 
Lord, we need this passage. Not because we're going to endure it someday, but because the elements of it are true in our day and age too. May we be vigilant believers. May we be vibrant believers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.